So, Sonny, what the heck you been doing the past few years anyway? Oh, a smidgen of this and a pinch of that. Using all of my facilities for the betterment of my fellow punts. What is it you want, Sonny? Can't a loving son just want to visit his mother on occasion? When plebos fly out of my hump. Well, now that you mention it, I wouldn't mind swapping my swamp speeder for your starship. That's what I thought. Who's chasing you this time? God doula. Oh, take it. Just make sure you bring it back full power. <laughs> Thanks, Mama. I got some important business on tap. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Bucho and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, Zero the Hutt is on the run with his lover Sai Snootles pursued by Obi-Wan Kenobi and Quinlan Voss. After meeting Zero's long-suffering mother, the Jedi's track Zero to death, where they find the gangster dead and also find themselves in a deadly battle with Cad Bane. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of The Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of The Clone Wars, he's the mama to my Zero. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hey, what's up, everyone? And we are going to talk about the 52nd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 3, Episode 9, Hunt for Zero. So, Robbie, before we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it this week, maybe we should have a moment of silence for one of the greats, for the magnificent, the fabulous, everyone's favorite. You love him. I love him. You love him so much. Zero the hut. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the things I remembered as soon as it started. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this one. Well, you would have been happy about it though if you remember what happens at the end, because you're well, yeah, you're not being a zero fan. But it's also, man, the whole episode is so weird and just ugh. I just don't like it. I, I'm just not a fan of this episode. I mean, I totally get it. I totally get why they they're like, okay, we gotta figure this out. But I just I'm not a I'm yeah, not a fan. <laughs> and you remember that did you remember that before you rewatched it though? Yes. Like just from the name, how much what did you remember about it? I remember I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the one where Zero gets taken out and I remember the size noodle stuff and I remembered I didn't remember that this one was kind of I guess combined with that the storyline with Quinlan Voss and, and Obi-Wan and Cad Bane. I didn't remember that, so I was actually kind of like, oh, okay, well, here's something that I don't hate. So, yeah, I mean, that's just... I'm sorry, man. I just can't... I don't like him. I don't like Zero. It's almost like they were, they were saying, let's try to make the most annoying character we can. You know, I just don't... I don't know. I don't like him. Man, I was really a fan of Zero, and being a Hutt who speaks basic actually came in real handy for a scene. I mean, I know you're not a fan of him being a Hutt that speaks basic, but that scene where they meet the council, you have to admit that, Robbie. In that scene where all of the other Hutts are speaking Huttese and he's kind of translating for them, did you, did you not even like that scene? Yeah, I mean, 
what I liked about that scene is the uh, it's something that I meant to bring up on one of the previous episodes that involved the Hut Council. The fact that they're all designed kind of based on classic right. gangster characters. You know, you've got your Marlon Brando type character, you know, from The Godfather. You've got Edward G. Robinson, you know, with his with his cigar. You know, you know what I mean? It, yep. I think that was kind of cool, but it's tough for me to get through. I'm just not a just not a fan. Well, this is our last chance to say that Zero was voiced by Corey Burton, who also does Count Dooku and Cad Bane, and I'm sure you're a fan of his performance. With I know you like his Dooku, and you like his Cad Bane as well, right? Oh, yeah. But just not as Zero. It's just the character is so grating <laughs> to me. It's just, he's, I mean, I don't know what, what could make him any better. You know what I mean? He's that kind of character that's just, he's loathsome. And then you add his appearance. You had you add his actions. You add the voice on top, and you're just like, ugh. <laughs> it's just me. Well, fortunately, Robbie, this is the last time that we'll get an episode with Zero, unless there's a flashback. I mean, I can only hope. I can only hope and dream <laughs> there's a flashback going up. But of course, also in this episode, you mentioned him, and I've heard his name over the years, but I'd never met him before this episode. It's Quinlan Voss, and it's kind of interesting that this brown-skinned, dreadlocked Jedi is not the most punctual dude around Robbie. I mean, we've talked about stereotypes in Star Wars before, and uh, here's another one that they hey maybe have a little bit of fun with when he turns up late for the meeting with Obi-Wan. Well, I mean, I didn't think about it that way in regards to, you know, any sort of race kind of thing. I mean, for me, it was just his character has always been... You can think of him sort of like he's a free spirit, and he also toes that line in between Jedi and Sith. And this is... And I'm talking about in the comics. Okay. You know, his his kind of his history and canon. He's one of those that, because of his ability, this... Uh, I guess you say it's psychometry? Psychometry? Psych... Anyway... Is that how, you mean his tracking ability? Yeah. His way, the way that he can feel things? Well, yeah, but his ability to pick up things and see almost like the history of that thing. You know, when he picks up Zero's cup in the Hut Council area there, he picks it up and he, and he can see what happened surrounding that, you know? Apparently that's some sort of psychic ability that actually, you know, is supposedly exists in the world. But right. anyway, that ability in the comics, he uses it in ways that are questionable and so he's he's always been one of those you know he's he's a loose cannon even more than say anakin or okay. you know what i mean that's yeah. that's what he's his character is so the fact that he showed up late it was for me it was like yeah that's quinlan moss you know he keeps his own schedule you know what i mean sure and this is only the second time in the show so far i think that we see a jedi force vision of some type and of course we find out that quinlan voss as you'd expect from a jedi master he's much better at controlling his vision than poor ahsoka was in the assassin episode and of course while he has this talent for tracking what he doesn't have a talent for is manners as we find out when he slices up mama hut's door and just kicks it in like he's he's kind of rude robbie oh yeah I guess maybe a good way of thinking about him is he's almost like Deadpool in a way, you know? Okay, yeah, sure. Where he's just, he does what he does. And he's he's almost uh, an agent of chaos almost, you know? But he gets things done and he's a Jedi and he's got powers and he's got his strengths. Which is, you know, <laughs> he contrasts well with Obi-Wan even more than, say, Anakin or even some of the other Jedi. Because Obi-Wan is definitely more, you know, we've got rules, we've got ways of doing things, we've got... You know, manners. Sure. We've got all those things. And Quinlan doesn't care about any of that stuff. You know, he just wants to get it done. No matter how it needs to be done, he's going to get it done. 
Yeah, he's kind of unrefined, right? Yeah. And speaking of Obi-Wan, remember in Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan admits to the Jedi Council that Anakin has become arrogant. Master Yoda replies, Yes, yes, a flaw more and more common among the Jedi. Too sure of themselves they are. Even the older, more experienced ones. And as we've journeyed along this Clone Wars mission, we've reminded ourselves of this line a few times, particularly in Cloak of Darkness. When Master Luminara completely dismissed the idea that Ventress would be any challenge for her, something that Luminara found to her cost wasn't 1138% correct, and Voss pretty much immediately comes across as brash and super confident. It's kind of another version of Anakin where it seems as if he might be one of the Jedi's Yoda might be talking about an attack of the clones, do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's many Jedi that I don't think it's it's meant to, you know, be completely focused on him, but I see exactly what you're saying. And and there's a there's a lot of Jedi that that are just, you know, it's sort of they think that they're invincible, you know. Right. And then I think that also contrasts with what Qui-Gon says to Anakin in that in episode one, you know, when he's like, he's like, well, nobody can kill a Jedi. And he goes, well, I wish that were true. Right. You know, Qui-Gon's seen some stuff. Man, I miss Qui-Gon, Robbie. I know. I know. And he's been through it. So he's much more of that, you know, he's a he's definitely a realist when it comes to it. And he knows that the Jedi have limits. But many, even experienced Jedi have those moments of ego and overconfidence in their abilities. Well, someone else who might have some limits, Robbie, that's this Gadula. Is it Gadula the Hutt? I guess it's Gadula the Hutt, right? They're all something to Hutt. Yep. And Foss and Obi-Wan are allowed to just wander around, just wander around Gadula's joint completely unescorted, even though Zero is being held there. And Gadula obviously doesn't want the Jedi's to know that. So we don't learn a whole lot about Gadula in this episode, but we do learn that Gadula is kind of sloppy. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean if you, you want to talk about overconfidence, I mean, the, yeah. Huts, <laughs> yeah. the Huts think that they're invincible too untouchable and since they have this sort of agreement with the jedi they're not worried about it you know they don't they don't care and someone else we get to know better in this episode that you mentioned earlier it's size snootles and with zero there's that scene where <laughs> they all, they're so lovey-dovey and size snootles like how, how do you do a size snootles with, i only care about us being together forever and zero says i have this is here we go robbie you really mean that? <laughs> and so Snoodle says, From the bottom of my fluid sack. How did you like that from the bottom of my fluid sack line, Ravi? I'm going to use that in romantic moments with my wife going that's, going forward. That's uh, From the bottom of my fluid sack. Yeah. Isn't that romantic? No. Isn't that beautiful? It's <laughs> See, it's like for me, I was sitting there thinking, and I actually wrote this down. I said, wow, who's more annoying than Zero? <laughs> and, you know, she's played by Asajj Ventress, the same actress that plays Asajj Ventress. Nika Futterman. Yeah, oh, Nika Futterman, she plays right? this character. And, ugh, she's so... It's just <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. I mean... I love her, man. There's, it's fun, though. It's, it's ridiculous in a fun way, isn't it? Just like Zero. Isn't it I fun, just, the ridiculousness of it? It's fun, Robbie. I find it annoying. I guess it's because... And maybe this is... It's supposed to be, though, right? It's yes. by design. And if that's if that was the goal, then they succeeded. But for me, it's just it's just a little out there. And I mean, even though, you know, these are, you know, you can you can argue that all of Star Wars is based on those old-timey serials and things like that, and those characters did exist, yes. But that's one of those where I feel like those should have just been left back in the 40s and the 30s. 
I mean, even even down to the designs of the the showgirls, you know. Sure. It's just it seems like it's it, all Chicago forties. Yes. Club vibes, right? And it seems like a it, it seems like one of those tropes from a bygone era that maybe should just be left back there. Now I get it. The Huts are old time gangsters. You know what I mean? They're they're old school. So in a way, it kind of makes sense, you know, design-wise and, and all that. But I will say I did appreciate the performance, you know, that Cy Snoodles does. It's very reminiscent of uh, of Anything Goes yeah. from Temple of Doom. And it just reminds me of the way that, that she was moving, the way that she, you know, just the arrangement of the song was was similar. And then, of course, I go on to StarWars.com and I'm looking into the some of the the little trivia behind the episode and they said they meant it as a tribute to that scene and i'm like oh well there you go i mean god it hit it right on the nose but uh, i mean i don't know it's size <sighs> snoodles man uh, <laughs> i don't know just i guess just not for me well i don't know if you remember the first time you watched this episode and whether you remember thinking the same thing but i actually thought size snoodles was being played by Zero early in the episode and that he was taking advantage of her. But, of course, as we learn later, it was the other way around, or at least maybe they were trying to play each other and she just got there first. And we learned that Sice Noodles is actually a real hard case gal who probably had to learn to take care of herself like this, hanging out with so many gangsters, doing her femme fatale thing. And I like that whole 40s Chicago gangster movie vibe more than you, it sounds like. I thought it was a lot of fun, although it did feel like that club was kind of sparsely populated. Like in a world-building way, I prefer something more like Jabba's where it's sort of bursting with an exotic menagerie of different aliens filling out the joint kind of like how in a Chicago gangland nightclub there'd be the gangsters who run the joint and also other assorted guests of the club right whereas here the place just seems to be filled with the hut council members and sliced noodles and everyone else is just staff right the guards the robots the dancers there don't seem to be any other guests adding color and our ambience to the club I mean there's the DJ as well although that's again staff so I felt like it was maybe an, uh, maybe an opportunity missed to make the place feel more Alive, I guess, you know, lived in is one of the things we love about Star Wars. And sure. So maybe that was a mark against the episode here. Did you feel that as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's weird. I didn't pay as much attention to the background. But no, I totally get what you're saying. It, it's It did seem, it seemed like a pretty lavish production for only a few people. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the same time. Yeah, it's only for the bosses. But that makes sense, right? I mean, that also makes sense to, uh, you know, to the way the huts live. You know, they're sort of the opulent fat cats you know what i mean they're the boss yeah i get what you're saying it's just that you know the bosses in the chicago gangland there that this is based on they would surround themselves with regular people as well i mean how if you're right. a big wig the best way to feel like a big wig is to surround yourself with small wigs right yeah and and to be able to show off a little bit yeah exactly you want an audience right it's an audience for not only the production that you've allowed to go on, but that you're in the middle of it too, and you're part of the. Yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying. It's just not something I was completely zoned in on while I was watching it. Sure. But yeah, it totally makes sense. And something else that makes a lot of sense in this episode Mama the Hut is wearing <laughs> a pile of creatures on her head, Robbie. She's wearing a pile of Shirelian tubes on her head, Robbie. How did you like the way that Mama the Hut was done up in this episode? Again, it was I was distracted by the voice and the performance and the similarity to I don't remember the character's name, but in Blade Two, the big vampire lady. Right. And I go look up the the behind the scenes stuff, and 
Mom of the Hut was, was intentional. It was yeah. intentional, and it was it was just a strange thing. But I don't know, man. Uh, it just seems this episode is so strange compared to you know where we've been and where we're you know where even we're heading. It sticks out as being an oddball episode. And every single production company of any TV show, they have these every now and then. They have just these oddball episodes. I mean, X-Files episodes, you know, the one with uh, the musical in the middle. You know what I mean? It's like, what is going on in this episode? So, I mean, they have them. And it's, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not for me. (laughs) It's just so weird. Mama the Hutt is such a weird character to just out of nowhere that very very <laughs> synthesized low voice it just it's just so strange yeah the voice is definitely weird because for for a while i mean i don't know about you but i was sort of looking and she got some sort of voice like i was thinking maybe she had some sort of thing strapped to her throat you know how yeah some people if they smoke for too long they end up with one of those voice voice modulator boxes yeah one of those voice modulator box things but there was nothing there that's just a regular voice so that was a little bit distracting but the character itself she seemed like a, a completely normal, regular mother, the way that she reacted, as if she wasn't a, any sort of mother of gangsters or whatever. She was just, where have you been, boy? What have you been up to? I mean, I, I didn't think there was any too much weird about her, aside from, I guess, her massive appearance and her and her voice. As a character, her behavior really seemed completely, almost one of the most human characters the show has had. No, I agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. I just, I don't know. I just, it's such, to me, it's it's just like, wow, that's a decision I wouldn't have made. <laughs> I mean, that's, but you know, again, it's not, it, this is not all for me, you know, and I have to understand sure. that. And I have to respect that. It'd be interesting to hear back from the troops out there who is, whether they're fans of uh, Zero and Mom of the Heart in particular. And speaking of things we're fans of, Robbie, how did you like this fight on Teth, Robbie? When we were last on Teth, of course, we had that epic vertical battle up the pillar. And here, in Hunt for Zero, we get a chase scene around these rocky, stepped cliffs. And in the end, Cad Bane successfully fights off two Jedis. And there's been kind of a running thing in the last few episodes where I've kind of pitted Oristing against Cad Bane as who might be my favorite bounty hunter. And Cad Bane really goes hard uh, I mean, let's, I'm just going to say it. He's gone back to that number one spot now. And I mean, he successfully fights off two Jedis. He has Toto to help him. And I think we talked in the last episode about how it's kind of odd that Toto's around again. We don't need to go over that again. But, I mean, he he fights off two Jedis. And he escapes. And he's using those wrist-mounted flamethrowers, Robbie. And he's not just that. He's got gadgets galore on his suit. He's pretty much... And some way, if you kind of squint at it, he's kind of evil Batman, right? He's got gadgets to deal with these foes of his. And he leaves Obi-Wan and Boss dangling over the edge of a cliff with Obi-Wan punning, I never did enjoy hanging out with you. i got to work on my Obi-Wan, Robbie. But how did you like that Obi-Wan pun? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's uh... Or even how did you like the relationship? I mean, the Obi-Wan and... You've mentioned it a little bit earlier, so maybe you don't want to go over it again, but this contrast, this juxtaposition of super straight Obi-Wan with, you know, loose unit Voss, this is basically sums it up at the end here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where any sort of different dynamic that they can introduce in the show is welcome. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to see different characters play against their own type, you know, and... I mean, Quinlan is definitely even in his in his fighting style. 
his fighting style is as loose as his personality is. You know what I mean? He's just, he tries anything and everything. And let's not forget, you know, one of the things that you were bringing up about Cad Bane, all of his gadgets and everything, he even uses a lightsaber in a couple of, you know? Yeah. For, and so does Toto. It's, they both use the lightsabers yeah, in this. It's so fun. It's really, really interesting. And it's funny, even in the last episode, right, where Padme gets to use it. You know, it's really the only character that we'd ever seen use a lightsaber that wasn't a Jedi or a Jedi in training was Han Solo. Now we're seeing all of these characters use it on the lightsaber. So it's kind of interesting. And uh, to see Cad Bane use it was pretty neat to see. And it's just a fun fight. Now, I will say this, too. What what was up with that just random snake attack? (laughs) (laughs) It was even what was so funny is that you're like, oh well, this is a this is another interesting set piece, and then it's over. It's just like, well, that was random. (laughs) It's just it's like they said, well, we've got we've got 18 seconds here. Yeah, with the episode we need to film. What should we do? Let's let's have (laughs) let's have a snake. (laughs) I mean, let's have a massive snake jump over Obi Wan, and then he dispatches it with a lightsaber through the chin. I just I just thought that was funny. It was it was sort of a weird like what? <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> but uh But you got to love a swamp, right? I mean the swamps all the way back to Dagobah, I'm always a fan of a swamp scene yeah. in the Star Wars. I mean, you have the fact we already know how you feel about this episode. Maybe you don't like this particular swamp, but there's just something about swamps, Robbie. I mean, this whole the whole vibe of Mama and Zero, of course, is this sort of Louisiana Cajun thing that I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned the first time that Zero came up, and that's always been a real evocative. I mean, speaking as a foreigner here, Robbie, that's always been a real evocative, exotic part of the planet to me. And, yeah, maybe that's part of why I like the episode. I really dig that Louisiana Cajun thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's even though I'm not a fan, I mean, look, we can all agree now. Rob is not a fan of <laughs> Zero and not a fan of Size Noodles. But there there are some definite things to take away from this episode that are fun. I really, really enjoy that last set piece with the, the fight with Cad Bane and, and Quinlan Vossen and Obi-Wan. It was just awesome. Yeah, my favorite shot of the episode comes from that sequence. It's when Cad Bane lands on Teth. He drops in. He's kind of silhouetted and all that purple mist. And there's that rocky outcrop jutting up into the sky behind him. What was your favorite shot of Hunt 4-0, Robbie? Mine was actually when Quinlan Voss and Obi-Wan arrive on Nal Hutta. Just because we hadn't really seen Nal Hutta. So it was interesting to see that landscape. I just thought it was a, a neat looking shot. Yeah, that was cool. That was very cool, too. And now it's time to talk about what we learned from Hunt for Zero, Robbie. And to make sure I don't steal yours, why don't you go first on this one? What did you learn from Hunt for Zero? Well, the the thing that uh, is applicable to the real world, uh, as well as uh, in the Star Wars universe, it's beware of showgirls and lounge singers. They may not be all they uh, appear to be. Yeah. Yeah, when, when that showgirl tells you and the guard next to you that Gardula wants to know who's stronger, <laughs> I mean, maybe one of the other lessons is let's just say you get what you pay for when you hire the Gamorrean guards. <laughs> These guys make the Roger Joys look smarter than Yoda in comparison. Oh, yeah. And maybe we also learned from this episode that if you ever visit Mama the Hut's place, you better get ready to duck because she's going to throw a Shirelian 2.3 straight at your <laughs> noggin. And that brings us to the summing up and the ratings, Robbie. Where does Hunt for Zero sit on your four-star Robbie scale? I'm going to use the force and reach out with my feelings here, and I'm going to guess it's at two and a half stars. 
you're pretty close. Uh, in fact, you're so close that, well, that that is the rating. That is the rating that I was going to say. <laughs> Boom. But the thing is, though, it's it's weird because it's real hard for me because I feel like if you're a fan of the Jedi and you want to know about more about Quinlan Voss, then this is your episode. I mean, this is I think that's important because I think Quinlan Voss is one of those that he's just a super interesting character that they just at this point were recently getting into and, and kind of, you know, getting into into his head a little bit. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that team up of Obi-Wan and Quinlan is kind of that odd couple cop movie thing, right? It's Yeah, it's a lot of fun in this episode. And I really like that 40 Chicago gangster movie vibe. Even if it did feel like their club was maybe kind of sparsely populated. And I dug that Louisiana Cajun vibe that Mama Hart had going on. And, of course, Cad Bane really showing how formidable he is. And moving up to number one in my bounty hunter rankings. And I have Hunt for Zero at seven flying Shirelian tubes out of ten. And that's Mission Accomplished for Season 3, Episode 9, Hunt for Zero. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels? Sure. We are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail on Twitter and on Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And, of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 53rd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 3, Episode 10, Heroes on Both Sides. And until then... This is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie, and we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.